the Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kiran Kapoor, brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com. Hello and welcome. This week we are going to talk about closing deals, something that can be incredibly hard to do. And I am joined by James Church, who is the author of Investable Entrepreneur and the co-founder of a company called Robot Mascot. James, welcome to the show. We have to start with Robot Mascot. What a fantastic name. What do you do? Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Robot Mascots, an award-winning investment readiness agency. So, So basically we help help founders to, to better communicate to investors their their value proposition, their their business case, so so that they want to back them with with capital. That's brilliant. So uh, we sort of talked about closing closing a deal because it, uh, you can close a deal from anything, can't you? Any any day to day transaction, as well as an investing, closing the deal. But let's can we talk a little bit more about the value proposition because that's one thing that marketers can sometimes struggle to explain. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky tricky thing to to do internally often and and sometimes it takes an external perspective to to really understand what what your value proposition is but but in essence it's understanding that the problem you're solving to whom you're solving it um and and how what the solution your solution is so so how do you how do you separate yourself from everyone else in the market by identifying a a niche often a, a niche problem uh, or a niche market that, that needs solving with a, with a really, really key problem that, that you can then build build a solution upon. And, and if you can grasp those three things and make it uh, make, make yourself um, a, a unique proposition, then then you've you, you've won the day. Um, so so people like Uber have been really, really great at this. Um, create it. You know, the, the market is for, for millennials looking to order a taxi. The the problem is is very much they don't like waiting for taxis they don't they don't they, they don't like hailing cabs and they don't like waiting for cabs um so they created a solution that solves that solves that problem um and that's by offering a map a map that allows you to order instantly but you can see you can see the journey coming to you so all of that anxiety that that people were feeling of whether or not my my uh, taxis on the way did they get the order is it coming it said it would be 10 minutes it's a bit late all of that anxiety is gone. You can finish your drink in in, in relative calm because you can see it along the map. And, and that was the big innovation, the instant booking, the being able to see the journey as it unfolds. Um, and all of those things created a, a really incredible value proposition, solving a problem to a, a niche audience that they had identified, which was the, the sort of, at the time, the millennial um, looking to order a taxi. Yes, and I think also you were abroad, and you have that all that panic about I haven't got any change to pay for the taxi, and I've just landed, yeah. and it's, I'm tired, and I'm cold, and I just want to get to wherever it is I want to go. And that was removed because you could book it and pay for it online. Yeah, that's it. So it was looking at, at what are the frustrations that audience, the millennials, have around ordering something as simple as a taxi. And how do we innovate on that? How do we create a unique solution that positions us as something very exciting and different in the in the market? So everyone can apply. It doesn't have to be your big kind of radical innovations like Uber, but every every business can apply the same the same strategy to their to their business development and and therefore the way they articulate their value proposition as well. So do you find that entrepreneurs tend to be looking for a really 
big problem to solve but sometimes just um you can be niche but be solving a a small problem or just be solving a problem better than somebody else i think the biggest issue with founders and entrepreneurs is is often not solving a problem at all if i'm if i'm honest <laughs> they've solved solving a problem that only they have or or they've come up with an idea a solution wouldn't it be great to have an app that does this mm-hmm. and then the the real struggle is how do i do, do, do enough people have this problem is it worth solving is it a big enough mm-hmm. market of people that want to solve this problem are they willing to pay for it can i can i commercialize this in any way and how, how do i how do i make this a viable business so, so i think for many founders it's it's often solution-led because they've 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 got a problem in their own personal life or in their work life and they've got there must be a better way of doing this and they focus on creating this solution and kind of sometimes even get as far as doing prototypes and 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 kind of first versions of of a product and then they suddenly realize that that only a handful of people have that problem and the means to pay for it and they haven't properly kind of you know through the development of their value proposition really understood the market's wants and needs and is there is that market big enough to to warrant investing or or your own time and effort let alone someone else's money in 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 building that solution as a viable business so yeah but but kind of more more in in true answer to your question i think um I think there's a real mix. I think there is a tendency to kind of think that you need to be in this massive market um, to to have a successful business, and and there's a founders are afraid to niche. That niche needs to be sizable, right? You're still only going to get a you know ten twenty percent share of the market if you're the market leader. Mm-hmm. So it still needs to be a sizable market, but you can still think of it as a niche. Um, so rather than solving marketing, a, a, you know, saying you're a marketing company, you can you know you can have a very viable business by saying you're a to one of our clients. You're a score. You're a quiz marketing platform, and and you you operate in the niche of quiz marketing, which is a subset of wow. you know data mark the data marketing kind of industry, which is a subset of the marketing industry. So you can kind of narrow it right down and, and realize actually that 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 niche if you become one of the go-to quiz marketing softwares on the market that's a multi-million dollar or hundred of million dollar opportunity globally and as a as a platform you can be global quite easily uh, and and they th- then their value proposition is like we are the best at that one that one small thing um, and all mm-hmm. our time and effort is focused on making that better. Think about Calendly. Do you use Calendly for calendar bookings or, or heard Calendly? Heard I, yes, and so I, ha- a, I have yeah. done, yes. Yeah, so they do one thing really. What They're a billion-dollar company, and, and all they do is book meetings into people's diaries. <laughs> That's it. They have all of this data. Think about the number of people that are booking through Calendly. Like I use it every day. At no point have they decided to create like a – they could create like a HubSpot type scenario mm-hmm. they could build a crm system and then start offering email marketing campaigns and nurturing campaigns to these people that are booking in meetings via calendly they could easily go off in that direction but they've gone no i'm st- we're sticking to our very defined niche and value proposition and we're just going to keep getting better and better at making booking meetings in diaries more efficient and they're a billion dollar company they don't need to kind of expand that proposition out and add all these sort of bells and whistles just book meetings in diaries, get that really clear value proposition and you're the global leader and you're a billion dollar company as a result. And of course, being a global leader expands the market anyway because people have heard of Calendarly. So when you think, oh, I could really do with a diary booking system, 
you that you immediately go to the big one don't you You go to the one that you recognize that's it and uh, and you know they they led the way or, or i don't know if they were the first company to do it but they were the ver- first to to really be become quite big and the more people that it's got a viral effect the more people that use calendly to book their meetings the more people go oh that's quite good i should look into that and and they grow mm-hmm. a market you know the market when they started for digital calendar booking would have been quite small and i'm sure there was huge resistance to people using technology to book their calendar appointments rather than doing it themselves mm-hmm. but over time that market grows because it becomes more the norm and, and you know, the, the the early adopters and the and the majority and the late majority and the laggards if, it, if anyone's ever looked at that kind of bell curve mm-hmm. you you'll understand the 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 you know these ni- this niche can be quite a small niche to begin with but it will become bigger over time as as more and more people get used to the idea and and want to adopt the idea that's brilliant thank you so we i said we were going to talk about um closing a deal why why do people find this so difficult Speaking as somebody who does, but why do you find other people find it difficult? Well, for me, it's it's really about storytelling. It's about articulating your business, your opportunity, your product, whoever you're pitching to, in a way that makes them want to want to engage. Get get being kind of getting people bought into your vision. Really understanding kind of the the benefits to them. Why why does this matter to me? And I think a lot of businesses just focus on features and benefits, and they don't they don't tell a story. They don't get people engaged in a way that makes them want to say yes, make them see the potential. There, there's a lot of hoping that they've already identified the problem and just outlining the features and benefits, and then hoping that's enough for them to to close the deal and 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 not really communicating a story and narrative to them that that kind of builds them up initially and kind of help that then helps them identify the problems that they've got and then articulates the the solution in a really clear and compelling way before finally offering them some kind of you know call to action to close and and sort of taking them on that on that narrative on that journey is something that that I think from the inside is really difficult to do because you have a very different perception of your business from the inside than Mm -hmm than those from the outside, those customers, trying to get into the mindset of that customer. Whether you're a marketing uh, marketing executive within a corporate or whether you're a founder of your own business, if you're inside the operation, it can be very difficult to see how people perceive it from the outside. Uh, and I think that's the biggest challenge. Can we just explore this a bit further? Because I think it's something that people get very confused by. So when you're, what's the difference between a an overarching narrative and the features and the benefits? Because you said people start with features and benefits, not the story. Yeah, so we could break it down into five kind of chapters, if you like. There's sort of five five chapters, five slides, five, five acts, I call them in my book, that, that close, that, that create a presentation that will close the deal. And the, and the first is like the hook, right? What's the... And the, the, I should probably say that the reason these five acts kind of work is because we've been telling stories in this way for centuries, right? The the ancient Greeks used five-act structure for plays. Shakespeare was a massive fan. Nearly all of his works were in five acts. Mm-hmm. And we can use these five acts of playwriting, not just in creative writing, but we can actually use them to create a, a narrative within a presentation, within a pitch. Because we're so used to being delivered content in this way as, a, as an audience that it just feels natural to have these five kind of acts these five steps and 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 when you cross-reference the purpose and i won't go into too much more detail on playwriting but if you were to look into the the five act structure of a play and you were to look at the definition of each of those acts and what they look to achieve within the 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 
emotions of the person watching the play. You can actually more or less cross-reference those identically to what I'm about to explain in terms of turning that into a business pitch, into a, into a business proposition. They, they map almost identical. And, and it really helps you kind of structure, get the right information to the audience in the right way at the right time in a way that we feel comfortable with. So with that in mind, we can look at the hook being the first act. And, and that's, the, that's where we um, really look to set the scene, usually with your big vision beyond making money. And this is where people will go, we've got this product and here's how good it is. But actually, what's your big vision? What's your vision beyond making money? How do you, how, what, what traction or validation or evidence do you have? Something big that kind of says, look, this is, this is a quick summary of here's our big vision. Here's what we look to achieve for, the, for our clients. And here's, the, here's some evidence that backs that up. Here's some stats. Our, our clients are four times more likely to raise investment, for example, would be something that we would use as a, as a hook to get people to engage in our solution. Like if our clients are 40 times more likely to raise investment, then they have must have some secret formula here that, that I can tap into if I become a client. So it's something that hooks the audience into taking you seriously. It could be your, your, authentic, uh, your, your experience, your background, any key results, your credibility, anything like that is, is you can use as your hook. Then you have the essence, and that's the value proposition we were talking about. This is outlining the problems that your clients have. Now, they should already know their problems, but you're helping them redefine and understand their problems in a way that allows you to sell the product because the key with a good value proposition the essence of the pitch is to say look here's three key problems that are that that we're solving as a result of that that you have as a client um, that we're solving and then when you talk about the solution you you map those three problems over to the solution so if these are three key problems here's our three key usps that solve those problems so we're taking people, we're connecting the dots for the audience. So they're not kind of being left one, oh, we've got this problem, so this part of the solution helps me solve that. We've got this problem, this part of the solution helps me solve it. So then got the essence of the business there. That deals with the problem that Henry Ford always said, if I asked my audience what they wanted, they would say they wanted a faster horse. So you don't do it that way. You say, what's your, pro your problem is that you want to get stuff to, to wherever it is faster. And then that's it. develop three on that. So yeah, okay, yeah. That makes so you're sense. leveraging you're you're leveraging your research around what the this is what the client wants to achieve, and this is the problems they have with the way they're currently achieving it. Now they may not have identified. They know that they want to achieve this end goal, but they haven't realised that here's three or four things that are causing that to happen in your business or, or to happen right now. So so you identify those for the audience and they go, actually, that's a really good point. I don't need a faster horse. I need something that will get me to A to B quicker. And actually we can use steam power or motor power or whatever to do that, right? Mm -hmm. so, so it's kind of, you're highlighting for them things that are contributing to the reason they're not achieving the thing they want to achieve as a, as a result of potentially being interested in your solution, right? Mm -hmm. Then you describe your solution in the context of those problems. So, you know, here's three or four things that you're experiencing, you're most likely experiencing in your business right now. And that's as a result of those things, you're not achieving what you want to achieve. Here's the things our solution does to allow us to, to um, overcome those problems and deliver you this top level um, solution that you're looking for. Once you've established that essence, you can then move into the evidence which is a really key part of the narrative because this is where we're now kind of taking this beyond 
them sitting there going, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, this sounds good into something that feels like it has credibility, that it has um, the, there's social proof around it. So again, this is expanding on that on that hook and kind of going, here's some clients that we've worked with currently. Here's some testimonials. Here's some case studies. Here's some results. It's social proof that what you're currently doing is working for your customers. Um, and you've got the evidence to back it up. You've got some you've got some credibility there in in this solution. Next, you move on to the plan, the plan of action. What what do we do? How do we if you were to work with us, a client, if you were to use our solution, what what does that look like? What does a what does a roadmap look like over the next um, however long the engagement is? Three months, six months, a year. If you use it, if it's a if it's a, a SaaS software platform, it's like here's how you sign up. Here's how you use it day to day. We're going to give you continued support and advice or we have access to to resources to help you get the best out of the platform, whatever it may be. It's the plan of action. How do you how do you articulate very quickly the plan of action that that, um, your audience would go through to get the result? And then finally is the ask. Ask for the business. Right. You say, hey, um, this is the next steps. Like if you like what we've talked about, we the next step is to do this. Then we'll do this, then we'll do the other. And this is how we take you from where you are now. If you express some level of interest, we'll take you through this process. And here's what we need you to do next. We need you to express interest. We need you to to do whatever. You might include pricing there as well. And if you've got clear packaged pricing, you might say these are the different options. Are those of interest to you? Here's the next steps. So you can use these five acts in any, any way. And the reason they work is because the first two, the hook and the essence, creates an emotional connection with the audience. It speaks to their heart. It gets them to buy into the the vision, the value proposition, the the, the emotional stuff about your business. The, the plan and the ask is the logical stuff. It's like, here's the plan of action. Here's the next steps. Here's what working together looks like. Here's, here's the logical stuff. So that speaks to the head. And then mm-hmm. the evidence, that third act in the middle is the link between the two. You're sort of using social proof. So you're using logic and data to back up and validate the the solution, the emotional part. So we're kind of transitioning the narrative in that moment from a from an emotional state into a logical state. So it's the moment where you transition the viewer from this kind of emotional connection with this sounds awesome into ticking off all of the kind of checklist of requirements they have for their procurement process that they have in their mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in the back of their head. And they're like, well, this is great, but I need to know this, 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 and this before I'm ready to commit. You're, mm-hmm. you're transitioning that moment in the evidence and using the plan and the ask to tick all those boxes um, and give them all the, lo- the the logical things they need to make a decision. So it gives you a lovely story arc, right? You're going from from um, the the emotional kind of engagement into a logical kind of tick boxing exercise. And by the time you finish the presentation, they've kind of got everything they need to make an informed decision. And it just feels natural. It feels like they've been taken through this really lovely journey um, and they feel very engaged in what you have to do. And look, this can be done for raising, this same process can be for selling deals, for creating partnerships, for, for raising investment. You can use these five acts for different contexts, but you can still use that story structure in exactly the same way. And I, I suspect that actually feels a lot less difficult for the person doing it. You're not trying to do some major negotiation skills you're not trying to sort of do a hard sell you've literally taken someone by the hand and led them through a a, a sort of logical process yeah everyone loves a a journey a method something to follow that they know has worked every time so if you can yeah deliver it in that way and kind of go 
here's the plan here's how we're gonna here's how we're gonna achieve that result for you it, it, there's a reassurance to that there's a you know it's not kind of they're making it up as they go along there's this clear five-step process they take us through or this platform delivers you know we'll set we'll set you up in these five ways and then it'll start generating leads or whatever it is this platform is is promising it will you know it feels reassuring because you've given them that plan of action um so yeah it's uh it's a great way to think about it so um one of the things that um, I've obviously been looking at the Robot Mascot website, and you do, an, you do a lot of videos and, and suggestions of things that people could do. And one of the ones I came across was three things founders should say, they shouldn't say really, when um, pitching their business. So you, you actually call it three things founders say when pitching their, that they should stop immediately. Um, mm. And there was one on there where you actually say, don't say these figures are conservative. And yeah. I thought that was really fascinating. Why not? It sounds sort of like you're just making it a bit softer. <laughs> yeah. So if we're pitching for investment, and that's the context that we're talking about here, is if investors are investing in startup businesses because they know it's high risk and high reward, if they were looking for conservative risk, they would be investing, they put their money in an ISA. They'd be investing in the stocks and shares. Maybe they'd invest in property. They're investing in the startup business because they know it's high risk, but the returns are huge. If you back the next unicorn, the next billion dollar business, you, you get huge returns, more than any other asset class that you could invest your cash into. So by its nature, it's high risk what you're doing. And therefore, investors want you to have that ambition to achieve high growth and, and high success. There seems to be a contradiction to that when you go in and you kind of say, I've done my figures, but I believe these to be quite conservative. I think we could do better than that. And that opens you out for two things. One, the investor going, well, I don't want conservative. I want a, an ambitious founder that's looking to, uh, who believes they can achieve, you know, big things. Um, mm -hmm. And the second thing is that, that you're kind of going, well, why, why are they, why do you believe these to be conservative? why aren't you presenting me the 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 non-conservative option why are you you know and, and if the investor mm -hmm. looks at your figures and says i believe these to be highly ambitious on my in my experience and you've already mm -hmm. pre given them the pre-context of they're your conservative numbers mm -hmm. suddenly you look a million miles apart whereas mm -hmm. if the investor goes oh these numbers look pretty ambitious based on my experience like startups i've worked with have taken three years to get to the point that you're saying you can get to in 18 months how are you planning on mm -hmm. achieving that you can then go well these are these are quite uh you know these are ambitious numbers we believe that we can really make this happen because of x y and z mm -hmm. here's our strategy blah 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 if you've already mm -hmm. pre-contextualized them as as um conservative you, you've dug yourself you sort of backed yourself <laughs> into a corner dug yourself into a into a grave and there's no way out of other than well, yeah, <laughs> we're, there. We're, we're, we're clearly mistaken. We clearly don't understand how startups grow and, and what the expectations are around around a business in our sector, which is not the position you want to be, be in. So to do as little as you can to, it's often, it's often done out of, out of kind of an un, uncertainty. When you pre-contextualize things and you give any excuse, like these are our conservative numbers or, or this is our initial, this is this is our initial thoughts around marketing it kind of delivers it means that what you're delivering is delivered with less confidence and then it invites criticism and it invites um scrutiny 
Whereas if you just mm -hmm. say, this is our marketing strategy for growth and this is what we're doing and here's why we're doing it, or these are our numbers and here's, here's how we believe we can achieve them, suddenly you, you're delivering with confidence and, and people are just more likely to believe you. It's the Trump effect, right? You can say anything you want as long as you say it with confidence and there'll be a number of people that will believe you, right? It, and, and it's kind of true in pitching. That's what, that's what made Trump so electable from, for this audience is he would just say complete nonsense, but he said it with such, with such conviction that over 50% of the American population believed him. Um, and, and you can, there's, there's a lot to be learned by, you know, by, by his approach um, when it comes to sales and marketing, because that's all he's doing. He's just selling his policies and they're contradictory, but he just says them with so much confidence. And, and I think we have a, we have a tendency to kind of be a bit more versus Americans uh, and, and mm. the way Americans pitch deals in, in mm. the UK, we, we certainly have much try to be much more have much more humility and kind of go well this is one way there's probably loads of other ways of doing it but there are ways this way and it's kind mm -hmm. of going they just show you have that confidence that conviction that kind of uh, and, and you're probably going to get less questions and less kind of pushback on your approach whether you're making that as a sales pitch or raising investment this is our five-step plan rather than we're going to do this and then everyone goes so how do you do that and really digging in and you've got to mm -hmm. answer all these questions so they feel reassured that you know what you're doing. If you say, we have this five-step approach that we do with every single client and we start with A, B, C, D, and E, and these are the five steps we do with every client and they deliver that result, suddenly there's a real confidence there in in, in, in what you do mm -hmm. and people buy into that confidence rather than, oh, it's really bespoke, we can sit down with you and we can figure out what you want and how you do it and we've got loads of different ways we can approach it. And we'll, but the first thing we'll do as a client is we'll sit down and we'll figure out kind of exactly through an onboarding process what you're going to do, and then we'll then from there we'll work out our our approach for the next twelve months. And you're going, I'm not buying into something that for committing for the next twelve months for an because I don't know what they're doing. Like, but that's the way everyone pitches. Certainly a consultancy. It that's is. the way everyone yes. seems to pitch their consultancy because they yeah. want to give themselves that flexibility. They want to make sure that the client's getting what they want. If you flip it on its head and just go, look, this is this is our five step approach. And every time we've followed this approach with the clients and when clients believe us and they trust us to deliver this five step method methodology, they become 40 times more likely to achieve their result or they've they've collectively achieved X. You know, for us, it might be they've raised more than 220 million in funding. Like when you just say follow this approach, this is the results our clients have when they trust us and when they believe in it suddenly everyone wants to buy it everyone wants to be uh, everyone wants to follow that that approach and and yeah it's a complete shift to the way we're used to pitching because we're always taught to you know it's just the british mindset the, the mm. british kind of personality is to be more more reserved and more conservative and 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 yeah when you flip it on its head it has a huge impact but you're right i mean the the, the bespoke well we'll sit down with you and work out your real requirements and how often do we and i'm as guilty as anybody else try to sell and explain things that way um yeah yeah no one cares if you it, it doesn't matter whether you <laughs> imagine imagine taking that henry ford example imagine going in and buying a car and rather than just seeing two or three cars you can buy and a different model maybe three mm -hmm. or four different versions of that one model mm -hmm. with different specifications just presented in front of you if you had 20 different chassis 20 different motors 20 different seats 20 different engines 20 different clutches and you said look build your own car we've got 
all <laughs> of the different clutches in the world, pick which one ever one you want. I don't know. I don't build cars. Mm. Like I want mm. the one that works and delivers these results. Like, and then so you go. Here's three types of car we offer. Which one do you want? Oh, I'll take that one. It's it's the same principle, but it can be applied to any business. And for some reason. Certainly consultancy businesses and agencies and those types of businesses fall into that trap of, of this is, you know, we can bespokeify it, we can change it based on the client. And, and it, it means you can't, your, your margins are really low because you can't, you, you spend loads of time quoting for stuff in a bespoke way. You've got these mm -hmm. core, this is our five-step method. It's like, this is what it costs to engage with us. It doesn't matter what you want or how you, where you are right now, this is what it costs because we're going to take you through this process. And suddenly you don't have to keep quoting all the time. You just go, this is the cop. And you save mm -hmm. yourself so much time and effort. Um, but it's the same for, for, you know, that's why technology companies, I think, have been so successful with the with those SaaS technology companies, those, those subscription-based software as a service, you know, zero accountancy software. It's just that it does this job, you pay this for it. Very simple proposition, very easy to get your head around. There's no... Whereas an accountant is saying, oh, well, we'll do it this way or this way. How do you want us to do it? I don't know. You're the accountant. You tell me. Mm -hmm. Like there's, you need to, you need to really focus on that value proposition and, and, and make that, that as clear as clear as possible and as easy to engage with as possible. James Turt, author of Investable Entrepreneur and co-founder of Robot Mascot. That was a fantastic overview of how to how to um, close any deal. And I, for one, have learnt a huge amount. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. The Cambridge Marketing Podcast from Cambridge Marketing College. Training marketing and PR professionals across the globe.